Hello, hello. Welcome to Hometown Daily. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI. That's keeping me in check. You want to say hi, AI? Well, good evening, hometown citizens. Happy Monday. Oh, it is Monday. This is uh, Season 2, Episode 177 for June 26th, 2023. My butt got fired. And more news. And we've got 12 articles that we're going to be talking about today. and Maybe being entertaining. I'm not sure. Try to be. Pause something real quick. Um, so we've already got all 12 of the, of the articles selected. And uh, we're going to go through them real quick. So why don't you all settle in, relax, grab a drink. We're going to... Uh, maybe I shouldn't say hometown and chill. It sounds. No. Yeah. I'm not... Maybe we can make another version of that. <laughs> well, we'll hang out for an hour, hour and a half. If I don't soapbox. Two hours if I soapbox. And uh, if uh, everybody starts talking in chat and uh, invites me into the conversation at least um maybe two hours so let's get into the very first article sound good sounds great very first article is about um starfield so it's almost on the regular because there there's hearings with uh ftc uh but this is in the Warcrafters channel and uh, it says Phil Spencer says Microsoft bought Bethesda to prevent Starfield being a PlayStation exclusive which is hilarious that um, Starfield almost became a PlayStation exclusive I guess the potential was there um, but I'm not quite sure why because it would have been up to Bethesda. So anyway, during the hearing for the FTC's current case against Microsoft, uh, Xbox boss Phil Spencer explained that part of the reason the company bought ZeniMax Media, the holding company that owns Bethesda Softworks, was the fear that Starfield might not come to Xbox. Bethesda had made a timed exclusivity deal with Sony for two of its other games which would keep them off Xbox until a year after release. So I guess that's the foundation for why they bowed out. Now, I guess it's it's really up to Bethesda and ZeniMax uh, to make that determination if they're going to buy into this exclusivity. So that exclusivity would have had to have been large enough in capitalization, right? They would have had to fund Bethesda Softworks slash ZeniMax to the tune of potential sales to everybody else. To, you know, to, to, to look at exclusivity within the PlayStation ecosystem, they would have to have said, yeah, that's enough money. We'll we'll accept that exclusivity deal. 
I'm thinking that's a lot of dollars. Yeah. But instead, Microsoft rolls in and buys the company outright. Jody McGregor over at PCGamer.com um, is the author of this article. It says here, the deck statement is uh, he just really wants to play it on his Xbox, okay? So, yeah, he wanted to play Starfield on his Xbox and not on a PlayStation because, well, he's the uh, CEO of Xbox or the Xbox boss is what it says. Anyway, I think it's really interesting. Here's the quote. It says, when we acquired ZeniMax, one of the one of the impetus for that um, is that Sony had done a deal for Deathloop and Ghostwire Tokyo to pay Bethesda to not ship those games on Xbox, which just that statement alone, if it's true, isn't that the embodiment of anti-competitive? Wouldn't that Absolutely. be the antitrust? I think that's a pretty astounding uh, revelation. I mean, it's basically a bribe. Hey, here's a bunch of it money. Don't give it to anybody else. But in business, I guess that's an exclusivity deal. I wonder if that works with politicians and officers and, and other people in a position to influence an outcome. I, wow. Huh. I wonder. Oh, yeah, that's right. I had to remind myself ethics is the smallest chapter of everything, including business operations. So I guess as long as there's a money motive, then it's okay in business. But then if you run afoul of something else, then it becomes antitrust. And then you can leverage the government to weigh in. Maybe if you're Sony and you don't like the idea of something becoming exclusive in xbox then you can lean into the ftc and say hey they're gonna oh wait so it goes both way gosh I, it's getting really confusing well spencer explained to the court that releasing games on both consoles handed money to sony that it then used against its competitor every time we ship a game on playstation sony captures 30 percent of the revenue that we do on uh, their platform and then they use that money among uh, other revenue that they have to do things to try to reduce Xbox's survival on the market. We try to compete, but as I said, over the last 20 years, we've failed to do that effectively, which is kind of a bold statement to make. Um, I wonder if we were to look at the, the publicizing of these statements, if the stock just kind of dipped. <laughs> right <laughs> exactly. when that got released to the press uh i'm guessing i did yeah that's kind fact, of rough when did that come out that was today i mean okay. uh, oh, after so it'll, our last it'll, show but it'll probably dip tomorrow then well yeah, I, maybe this right morning now. yeah so i'll have to take a look but anyway it says uh the u.s isn't the only uh country holding up microsoft's proposed 68.7 billion dollar acquisition of Activision Blizzard trade commissions in several countries have either attempted to block the deal or remain undecided on it and they've got a handy map of which countries are blocking that Microsoft Activision deal so Microsoft actually dropped about two percent today <laughs> so, which hey, is a pretty significant drop for a major company well you know when you walk up to something and announce 
over a, a PA system, eh, we've been kind of sucking at being competitive. I mean, saying that you're trying hard to do it, that's one thing. And investors will sit there and go, okay, they're trying. But when you roll in there and say, we've been trying for 20 years and we're just not cutting it, that's going to cause investors to flinch. So um, I throw I I threw the article into chat and I throw the articles into chat uh, as soon as I remember them. Um, but just want to make sure that I said it. Jody McGregor over at PCGamer.com is the author of this article. So follow that link. There's more minutia in the articles, uh, but we tend to just kind of give you an overview um, and uh, our particular take on things. So, um, uh, look, I want the deal to go through um, because I don't want it to be an exclusive anywhere. But I also want Sony to cause the FTC to say you can't have exclusives anymore. <laughs> so every game that gets published can be released to every platform and it actually gives an impetus to make the developers release to everything because now there is no uh, financial bribe there to make them do an exclusive deal. So when you're the biggest dog on the block, you have the money to pull somebody away from doing a general re general release. And I think that that's anti-competitive. You're basically using your financial might to create a monopoly on a particular piece of software, which isn't that hard to release to all of the platforms. There's okay. Everybody that's in these companies are subject matter experts in software engineering. They can make it happen in their sleep. So don't tell me that it's not technologically possible. The problem is when Sony or Microsoft or some other big ass company just drops in, you know, a golden parachute of cash and says, here you go. Don't send it over there. Basically you've bribed people into limiting where it gets released and it's software. This isn't some finite resource, right? This isn't something that you can hoard like a dragon and keep anybody from unless you want to because of the greed motive. And I suppose in this day and age, a metric ton of money is better than waiting for it to trickle in by consumers. <coughs> Can't believe my cough just kicked in, but it's because I tried to breathe and swallow at the same time. <coughs> you can't do that, folks. Pro-life tip. Okay, so let's um, let's go on to the next article, unless you want to add something to this. No, I don't have anything to add. Gotcha. Okay, let's go. Uh, this next article is over in Tabletop Nights, RP Gamer's Summer Announcements Highlights. We're going to do this really quick because I'm just going to kind of draw your attention to it and um, be on our way, sort of, kind of, sort of. I want to take a look at it with you. Um, so RP Gamers 
Summer announcement highlights is put together by Alex Fuller. It says, while E3 slumbered for at least another year, I don't think it's going to come back. I think it uh, last of the coffin nails have been driven in. Um, the gaming industry ensured that June would remain a month of announcements, reveals, and other hyping up what's on the horizon. So they talk about Baldur's Gate and Beastie Ball, Bloomtown, Citizens. Okay, Super what is two. with all the B names? It's just in alphabetical order. Clockwork Revolution, Dragon Quest Monsters, see? Final Fantasy uh, 7 Rebirth, which is just a remake of it. Um, like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth, which had uh, a great um, uh, trailer. Hello, Toll. Welcome to the show. And uh, Metaphor, Paleo Pines, uh, Persona 3 Reload, Persona 5 Tactica, Resistor, and many more. Um, so I'm going to, I pointed you over to it. It'll be in the show notes. It'll be over on YouTube. It'll be um, in our VOD. And um, it'll be in the podcast show notes as well. So go and check this out. This gives you a rundown of, well, an easier to read and consolidated list of the summer uh, what would have been an E3 game announcements, uh, but not this year and maybe not ever, but we'll see. And we'll keep you all informed if anything pops up. Let's keep going. Hey, Toll, can you hear the music? Let me know. Um, so... The next article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. Meta launches VR subscription service that costs $8 a month. Well, $7.99 to be accurate and precise. Oh, that's perfect. Thanks, Toll. Um, Meta on Monday announced a virtual reality subscription service called MetaQuest Plus because the moment that you do plus on anything, it means that it's a subscription service. By the way, everything old is new again. One of my projects, nationwide free internet service, was actually known as its name and a plus. Yes, and it I, was. I that was it. you were ahead of your time. Yep, I did it before it was cool, everybody. So, um, Meta on Monday announced this virtual reality subscription service called MetaQuest Plus. But why? Why the hell would you make? a VR subscription service. I mean, it's $8 a month. I guess it gives you, it's basically. It keeps people in your um, platform, right? I suppose here, let's go over to CNBC. Ashley Kapoop is the uh, author of this. I think that's how they pronounce their last name. Um, Meta on Monday announced that virtual reality subscription at $8. It's supposed to be in the MetaQuest store starting today. But you need a headset. So eight bucks gives you access to anything that is in the store. So this is actually, uh, well, <laughs> it's a way to pull somebody into the service, but they're still going to have to shell out the money. Um, and like Toll just said in chat, it's their version of Game Pass but only VR. 
Um, it says the subscription service marks Meta's latest effort to generate recurring revenue from its Reality Labs unit, which is developing virtual reality and augmented reality technologies. It recorded an operating loss of $4 billion in the company's first quarter while generating $339 million in revenue, and shares of Meta closed down 3.5%. Yeah. I, I, what I don't get though is there isn't, I don't think that there's anything really grabbing anybody, um, short of games like No Man's Sky having virtual reality, um, options. And I don't know if No Man's Sky is available in VR on Meta. I'll have to take a look. Um, but $8 is not enough. There isn't a big enough market to pull people in there. Um, and it isn't enough to sustain it. Because look, they lost $4 billion in the company's first quarter. <laughs> this is nothing. I mean, this is kind of like uh, the meta version of a blue check mark. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if it's to just drive sales of the headsets. Um, I mean, this seems like very little money for the number of games that you could get. And if they could sell those, that seems like that'd be more cost effective, but. Yeah. So Toll says um, there are no VR games that are intuitive or interesting enough um, for them to say, man, I need to spend 500 bucks on a system that makes me look like a goob <laughs> while playing with it yeah yeah um and now see uh, i have a pico 4 a headset i used to have an index there are uh games that i like playing in vr i actually but i'm just really into vr i kind of dig that kind of interaction um, there are room scale versions where you're basically like Indiana Jones doing certain steps in a, in a puzzle space. Um, there are games where you're uh, uh, essentially Jack and the Beanstalk and you're running around on a giant tree or beanstalk um, trying to do certain things. It's a lot of fun. It's a bit of exercise, um, but it's it's immersive. It pulls you in. No Man's Sky is probably um, one of the more fun, at least for me, because you are, you become the character, not just looking through your your character's eyes on your screen. Um, you literally become it. So you can actually bend down and pick stuff up and move things over here and do this and that and whatever and fly and all that. Um, it's just a blast to play. So I dig VR. Um, Tulsa's Elite Dangerous looks cool in VR, uh, but not for the price tag. Um, yeah, well, and to really fly it, um, Elite Dangerous, you need uh, like HOTUS and um, more equipment beyond just to really engage in it. So, flight simulators or driving simulators, you need a steering wheel or a, a joystick and uh, throttle and pedals and all of that kind of stuff if you really want to do it and it be immersive otherwise it's a step away but this is like the pico fours are only about four hundred dollars the index is a thousand dollars 
um, technology is advancing really fast. I wouldn't pay Apple's Vision Pro $3,500 and it can't do that kind of stuff anyway. But if you want to do stuff like that on other platforms, you have to get their platform. Meta happens to just be on its own with just the headset. You don't need a computer. But without the computer, you don't have the same capabilities. So you're limited to whatever it is that their store throws you. $8 a month is emblematic of what the offer is. Because if it was really going to keep an audience, that would be 25 bucks a month. Because there would be a vast array of features and you would be bound into that ecosystem and they'd start making some serious money. Except for the fact that still, you have to go out and spend 500 bucks and you're only going to be able to play their stuff so i don't know i don't think that this is gonna change the dynamic maybe if it was you know 12.99 and they sent you a headset and you subscribe for a year at a time um and, and that basically, might get some traction and, and basically you build up the customer base if they cancel or the year ends, then they can send the headset back. You refurbish them. It might be a little gross, but, <laughs> um, but I just don't see this actually changing the dynamic. Um, it's a niche market. It's VR and AR are not ready for prime time. Um, just like other things that I've said, but you got to take those baby steps towards it. So, you all keep burning that $4 billion a quarter. I totally uh, appreciate it because you're stimulating the market and I want VR and AR to succeed. So, um, did I throw that into, I didn't throw that into the chant. Bad marijuana, bad. Let's go on to the next article. Uh, y'all are going to love this one because this one hurts. Hometown Daily. Not that you all know, like being hurt. Never mind. Anyway, um, so a college janitor turned off a freezer in a lab to silence annoying alarms, but destroyed $1 million in research, scientific research in the process, according to a lawsuit. By the way, there was an estimated 25 years worth of research in that freezer. Oh my gosh. I mean, the value was astonishing enough, but. Yeah. That's a little hard to recreate. Uh, I had heard about this and I was hoping that it would be submitted and, and thankfully it was submitted. So let's just go straight over to the source. Um, I saw it from somewhere else, um, but uh, then I saw it in hometown and I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I hope it gets submitted and it was. So Sada by Mia, I think is how they pronounce their name, their name. Um, over at businessinsider.com. Okay. A janitor destroyed $1 million in scientific research after turning off a super cold freezer in a lab, which is kind of lame in terminology. Um, he had heard. Yes, that's not the technical term of what the refrigerator or freezer was. <laughs> super cold. Yeah, you know, <laughs> the, <laughs> the research paper said. 
So we have like this super cold freezer, you know, that we put like stuff in. And then when we're going to like analyze it, we take it out and we like, we like slide a little razor on it to get a really thin piece. And then we stick it inside this thing that makes your eyeball like really large so that you can see little things. Anyway, some dude turned off the alarm and it wasn't me this time. So, a million dollars in scientific research. They say here over 20 years, but what I had read somewhere else was 25 years. <laughs> well, actually... and it might say that farther down in the article. Oh, you not yet. He had heard annoying alarms coming from the freezer. What a dumbass. <laughs> in a university, you know. <laughs> that beeping sounds really annoying. Well, and, you know, maybe you might call somebody if an alarm's going off, like from a safety standpoint, not even from a research standpoint. I don't know. <laughs> this is like, um, what's the one where the guy was the janitor at the university? Oh, yeah. Um, and he was wicked smart. What, what, what was the name of it? I forgot. Tulsa says, I know when I hear annoying alarms, my first thought is to unplug it. Yeah, tell me about it. What is that? What was that called? Hold on. Let me find it. Keep talking. <laughs> Keep talking. Just so y'all know, the AI never asked me to keep talking. Goodwill hunting. Goodwill hunting. Yes. Thank you. So this is like an inverted goodwill hunting. You know, the janitor just goes, eh, you know, I'm just going to turn this off. Y'all all thank me later. Yeah. Well, and. That makes me wonder too, like, when did they discover this? Because, I mean, maybe it was like immediately, but. I, I don't want to throw this dude's name under. I, I mean, it's no, in the article. I don't either. It's in the article, but um, I'm not going to attach him to. I'm not going to say it. I mean, I actually don't like that this article is about a janitor. The article is a riot, but I don't want to diminish somebody who does a really tough job with probably no respect and probably low pay well it's not about the janitor it's it's about the fact that the dude turned off the an alarm it has nothing to do with his profession it could have been anybody but what you don't do is turn off an alarm you go notify somebody hey there's an alarm i mean if that, you know, so like I have backup alarms um, for certain equipment and I've had people go, hey, you know, the alarm is going. And so, you know, I run over to the facility and go, okay, let's fix this. What I don't have is somebody calling me up a couple of days later saying, hey, there was an alarm, but I turned it off. So everything's cool. No, that's just not how it works. The laboratory contained a freezer which housed numerous cell cultures and samples that had to be stored at a temperature of negative 112 degrees Fahrenheit. A fluctuation of just 3 degrees could cause catastrophic damage. If the freezer's temperature rose to negative 118 degrees or dropped to negative 115.6, an alarm was set to go off. 
is exactly what happened on September 14th when the alarm went off because the temperature had risen to 108 or negative 108.4 degrees. But Professor Lakshmi determined that the research was still unharmed. Uh, she contacted the freezer manufacturer to schedule emergency services, but due to COVID-19 restrictions at the time, it could not be serviced until September 2022. Wait, does anybody notice that's a two-year wait for service? Are you kidding me? That's where they should... I mean, that's really where their issue is. Well, the yes. Yes, but... Here's the rest of the contact, uh, context. As a result of the consistent alarm and to prevent anyone from unplugging the freezer, a notice was placed on its door saying, this freezer is beeping as it is under repair. Please do not move or unplug it. No cleaning required in this area. You can press the alarm test mute button for five to 10 seconds if you would like to mute the sound. Why does this sound like it's a power strip hanging off the side of a commercial freezer? Because that's what you do. Like a, a regular UPS, you just hold the button down and it turns off. Um, if you hold it down too long, it turns off entirely. Anyway, it says, however, when they were cleaning near the lab on September 17th, he heard the annoying alarms. According to his account of the events, in an effort to be helpful, he ended up switching off the circuit breakers. Oh, oh, that's an additional, that's an <laughs> additional step, <laughs> which provides vital electricity to the freezer, believing that he was switching them back on in an error in his uh, reading of the panel. So, oh, God. So, yeah. That. Toll says that uh, they saw this in a movie one time. Um, oh, it was called Flick? Really? I'll have to take a look. I was thinking Andromeda Strain, but that's okay. If you've never seen Andromeda Strain, well, think a, a much worse COVID-19. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll introduce the AI to that. Got to confused emoji sent to me just now Tull says no the guy was thinking uh, uh, the guy was thinking I saw this in a movie once flicks off the circuit breaker oh <laughs> so, Tull was playing I out see. the scenario yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> it's a beeping sound flick <laughs> so the person's being sued for one million dollars worth of damage i guess or well uh, they're seeking the yet unspecified damage yeah um so yeah i'm pretty sure that this person might be let go from their cleaning service invited not to return but i'm seriously though i you just don't do it you know if you are in you don't make that determination. You just don't do it. So unfortunately, teachable moment is a very expensive lesson here. And I'm not even worried about the money. I'm worried about 20 to 25 years plus of research that is lost. Right. Because That's even the real loss here. That older research 
with new eyes later on could be the pivot point for a scientific discovery that changes the world. And you exactly. can't, you, you, you can't calculate what that loss is. I mean, the stuff in there could have been absolutely priceless. Um, so that really sucks. Crazy cat lady says, I foresee bathroom duty in their future. I don't know. <clears throat> this is, this might be, they may not be trusted to sanitize anything. Okay, let's get out of here. Let's go to the next place. And that's over at Mobile. Uh, animation shows what the world would look like if you could see carbon dioxide emissions. This is one of these things where I kind of dig this because uh, I dig technology. I dig animation. I dig if this could be pivoted into AR or VR. This would be great so that you could actually see the world and be immersed in it. Um, so it says here, um, it's a strange, eerie looking place. Carbon dioxide gas appears and disappears in cycles and bursts throughout the year. It's how our planet would look if you could, if we could detect carbon dioxide with our eyes. Scientists at NASA's Global Modeling and Assimilation, which sounds like a Borg kind of thing from star trek oh most definitely at least it doesn't make some weird uh acronym that <laughs> sounds like borg <laughs> oh yeah that would have been awesome um it's nasa's global modeling and assimilation office made computer animations of its presence in our atmosphere and now that we can go and take a look at these videos maybe i'm not quite sure if this site will have um the actual videos but i'll play them if they do um it's over at fizz.org carolyn collins peterson from universe today uh, put the article together and it says a team at nasa <clears throat> made three animations all showing the carbon dioxide levels throughout the year of uh, 2021 uh, each one shows four major con uh, contributors fossil fuels burning biomass land ecosystems and the oceans in the view showing North and South America, we can see the results of plants absorbing the gas via photosynthesis and then releasing it during winter months. And there are intense contributions uh, along the northeastern seaboard of the United States, mainly by emissions from fossil fuels burning. Um, there's also a rise and fall of the gas over the Amazon rainforest. I would assume that that's the actual forest itself. Uh, doing respiration. <clears throat> um, so let's see if they actually have a video. Yeah, they do. Great. So I'm going to play this video real quick and I'll, I'm going to mute it if I. So you get to actually see here. Let me blow it up. Doink. So you get to see basically it looks like a weather pattern flowing around. Um, the upper portion of the planet and <laughs> slowly filling it. There's no counter that tells you like a time or a date or anything. Exactly. Like I want to know is that every 24 hours when it flips or, or whatever. That's interesting. So we'll have to. But it's interesting to see it visually because I think it's one of these abstract things that nobody really. They're like, oh yeah, okay, there's carbon dioxide, but seeing it is a different matter. Is that? 
That's insane. Is that really what I'm seeing? That it's all filling up like that? That's what it appears to be showing. Huh. Sorry. It's hard to describe this. But it basically looks like a globe that has the Earth inside it. And between the surface of the Earth and the outer edge of the atmosphere, it's just kind of filling up. <laughs> and now it's almost entirely enclosed in this haze which i can only imagine is not good for us huh so yeah it it looks like it just slowly increases um over that period of i think they said 2021 yeah yeah crazy well, cat how, lady how is that possible <laughs> crazy cat lady describes that right it looks like coffee in a mug when you add milk yeah. yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that that's pretty accurate it just slowly just infused itself across the entirety of the, the globe huh interesting so a third view shows contribution from fossil fuel emissions in europe and crop clearing fires in africa overall the videos I give a very clear view of the presence of this greenhouse gas and its cycle in our atmosphere. And while a, lo a little bit of it is okay, a lot of it is actually detrimental. And uh, the more that we cut down trees, the harder it is for this to be filtered out. Um, and it's in two main things. The, the oceans do some of this as a heat sink, or not a heat sink, but a, a sink for CO2 and trees um and other greenery um but we are cutting down and contaminating so <laughs> the thing that's supposed to save us is actually being hobbled um okay so this is just massive though i can't imagine that this is just regular like everyday joe contributions you know me in my backyard is not the major contributor it has to be industrialization right uh yeah i think so i mean i think it's um practices of tree clearing and um you know strip mining i mean it could be you name yeah so they kind of describe what's going on here it says human caused or anthropor man i knew i was going to mess it up anthropogenic um, sources include power generation chemical production agricultural practices and transportation uh, note that most of these involve fossil fuel burning fossil fuels or natural gas coal oil um, toll asset uh, does it um, show a significant contribution over china the world's leader in greenhouse gas production um, this is actually something that uh, we've discussed in previous um, shows and the the thing that keeps popping up when anybody talks about China um, at this point, which is interesting, right? Um, the clap back from China is you all went through your industrial age. Now it's our turn. So we don't really care what you have to say. And they literally call the United States politicians and policymakers hypocrites because Europe had gone through its industrial 
United States closely thereafter, and now they're saying it's their turn. Um, meanwhile, all of the lessons that we have learned aren't being leveraged to limit this exposure. So uh, does it show uh, China? Let's see if they have a, there's this video and that's it. So uh, it scrolled down that talked about Asia. It did, but it didn't have a video. Maybe it doesn't say for China specifically. Yeah, I think there is another video, um, but it might be over at Universe today. Um, so I can throw that link into the chat. There you go. Um, that might send you out. Actually, if you just go to universetoday.com, they don't really link directly to it. Um, except maybe somewhere. Oh, I, here you go. Here, I'll throw this into your into the chat for y'all. There you go. Those are the other videos as well. Um, but I can, without a doubt, uh, you know, it's going to show <clears throat> because they aren't doing the same level of scrubbing. They don't have public pressure from the people or the government by proxy of the people. Um, forcing, monitoring, filtering, Pardon me. Gotta get that cough looked at. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I mean, the public is leaning into being greener. And here in the United States, you can't pour a little bit of concrete without doing an environmental impact survey. Um, and I've got stories that I've been told from people where um, nothing exists in this area and they're trying to bulldoze something. And then somebody says that they heard a mouse fart in that corner of that berm and suddenly everything shuts down and, and you're not allowed to do anything um, because somebody might have seen at one point in the last 40 years something that was you know, this mythical creature, right? Somebody said there's a unicorn there and suddenly there's a unicorn. Anyway, um, there are, but there are other countries that aren't doing this because they're pointing at other people saying, well, you already did it. You can't hobble us from doing it because it's, you're slowing us down. Yeah, but I think part of the problem is, of course, we know more now than we perhaps sure. knew. And as we've seen with, for example, the wildfires in Canada, things impact other areas. I mean, there oh, are yeah. many other examples other than that. But. Yeah, I mean, that, and that one was a, a really bad example of just how tied together we are. Um from the forest fires that were in Canada blowing down all the way um, down into like uh, DC and uh, Virginia, North Carolina. I mean, it was, the stories were quite interesting. Toll just says in chat that uh, a Home Depot near them has to build a drain line that allows salamanders to transit below the driveway. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Better approach <laughs> would be 
Uh, you already had yours. How are you doing it more efficiently and cleaner? Yes, that's exactly it. Um, but the, they already know that it's more expensive. And because of that, they're not going to do what the lessons that have been learned elsewhere. I mean, come on, state actors are penetrating systems to steal industrial it, it, for industrial espionage purposes to steal intellectual property and then redevelop it. And there's countless stories of that. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a thing. Um, but we know that nothing's going to change this dynamic. So you can, like I do, rant and rave all about this. Um, but people are just going to call you naive, which is what I hear. I mean, I really should just make a shirt that says Mayor Watt acknowledges that he's naive. He still wants to see the world be like this. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, we all know you can't change it individually, but I don't yeah. know. I think we have to call for what we want changed but right. there's a lot of things that have to happen to turn this around yep i would love to turn this bus around and um so and again uh told totally understand china's economy isn't capitalist driven sort of <clears throat> it has a profit motive and it's consolidating it's turning a lot of people even in china into millionaires it's just not everybody treated equal so yeah this is it's a it's an ongoing thing um if you're not politically connected and you say the wrong thing you uh, get sent for reconditioning um so that said go and watch those videos check them out and um we'll keep on talking about this because it will be back we will end up talking about it So this is um, in hometown daily, 10 things in tech, Airbnb's Montana Smackdown, Microsoft whining, Salesforce worrying and Reddit rage. Um, this is over at Business Insider. It's kind of like a, a consolidated list of news. So let's just jump right on over to it. And um, they go through this long list Okay, a family emergency earlier in June, took them away from a newsroom for many days when they returned that they realized what they'd miss. Here's the list. <laughs> this is kind of what I do day in and day out and why I created hometown, um, because it consolidates all of this kind of stuff. Just news, not, not this in particular, but all of this news that they're talking about is in hometown already. You could probably do a search for this stuff and it'll pull it up. So Airbnb, Montana, Smackdown, life in the town of Bozeman is harder thanks to short-term rentals. Bozeman has become a popular Instagram-ready gateway to the Mountain West. That sparked a boom in Airbnb and Verbo uh, properties, which I have never heard marketed. Oh, yes. Those are um, it's like vacation. I forgot what it stands for, but it's pretty well known. Gotcha. Um so, but I've never seen an ad for Verbo. Airbnb, I've uh, seen True, ads. true. Yeah. Um, like, I've heard of this, 
but I've not seen an ad, so I don't know how they're causing a problem. <clears throat> Verbo has a lot of cool looking retreats, according to Tull. Well, <laughs> my brain just, <laughs> I started coming up with little snarky comments. Um, you've seen more Verbo than okay. Airbnb. Siri just activated. Is that what that was? I thought it was maybe one of the videos had audio that was playing off to the side. That was hilarious. Uh, okay, so anyway. Um, so they end up talking to Bozeman residents about this. Um, and then uh, Microsoft whining employees of the world's largest software company are not content with juicy tech salaries living near beautiful Seattle and not paying income tax in the state of Washington. Instead, some of them are upset with their compensation and Microsoft's leadership, and you can read about it. So every once in a while, we link to these consolidated kind of um, pages so that you can parse them at your leisure. Um, and I figured that I would throw that in here. Um, they also mention in here, uh, is the AI hype cycle peaking? A lot of money flowed out of AI-related tech stocks this week. That could be a sign the recent chat GPT inspired market jump is running out of steam. Uh, Black Swan author Nassim Talib uh, just warned about this. When SoftBank says it's all in, that's often a bad sign too. So check out the data and they provide a link. <clears throat> um, and Toll's gonna look for a little bit. Um, thanks. Let's see. Now, this last one here, this is one that is going to is continuing and I, and I haven't seen any resolution or change in the status quo. Uh, Reddit Rage, the popular online forum, is returning to normal after a site wide blackout to protest changes to its API policy. But there hasn't been any change from the CEO, as far as I know, in terms of them backing down from raising that price. So all of this returning to normal means exactly what this EEO predicted. Everybody's just going to walk away. They're just going to go, okay, and go back to normal. Why? Because they realize they're not the ones that are in power. If you are a, a mod on Reddit and you complain, you're not the owner. You have no investment there. You don't, you literally are doing something for free and probably abusing that power. <clears throat> and so punt off you go. So Reddit CEO doesn't care about you in particular, but they care that you're harming their brand, harming the production of content. And they'll find somebody else to replace you. So I guess bend the knee, y'all. Just bend the knee. Okay. Um, with that in mind, go over and check that, check out that article. Um, it's got a whole bunch of stuff in it. So let me throw that into um, chat so you can check it out. Um, and uh, let's go on to the next article. We're like halfway through the show today. So uh, the next article is states are weakening child labor restrictions nearly eight decades after the U.S. government took kids out of the workforce. 
a movement to weaken American child labor protections at the state level began in 2022. We began talking about it in 2022 when I said, hey, we can finally get a child chimney sweep. Because um, <laughs> that's what we all need. Yep. Um, by June 2023, Arkansas, Iowa, New Jersey, and New Hampshire had enacted this kind of legislation and lawmakers uh, in at least another eight states had introduced similar measures. And what legislation is that? Lowering the age and reducing the influence of the legal structure on what they could be doing. So before I go too far past this, I'm going to throw this into chat so you can go and check it out. Um, but it's um, John A. I think their last name is Flighter, F-L-I-T-E-R, and Betsy Wood from The Conversation, uh, which is a podcast and website. And um, they put this article together for fizz.org. The laws generally make it easier for kids from 14 to 17 years old to work longer and later and in occupations that were previously off limits for minors. When Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed her state's new, more pervasive, sorry, permissive, um, child labor law on May 26, 2023, the Republican leader said the measure would allow young adults to develop their skills in the workforce. That's code for cheaper labor. Um, and I think this is the same state that says that if parents allow the child to work, they can't sue the employer. That may be, um, We'd featured several states, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. at this, so they're running together. Yeah. So, but it, during the same time, we heard about um, children working in meat packing, children working in um, metal shops, um, industrial plants, car manufacturing. Yeah, exactly. Um, man, it, it's so twisted. Kids need to be kids. This is in an effort to get cheaper labor because adults are expensive and kids can be told what to do. And, uh, you know, I, I watched this, um, there was a, it's a young adult show where the kids have the ability to see dead people, like their ghosts, their spirits. It's actually a pretty fun show, uh, lock and something or other. Um, Anyway, oh, was it the Lockwood Co? <laughs> yeah, Lockwood Co. Um, and uh, the mom made the girl work in that field because she had the ability to see these spirits. Actually, listen, I think, hear them. And um, the, the objective was she was making money because the parent wasn't. So th these kids are going to be working longer hours, not studying. They're going to be learning a trade, but that trade may not exist in five years at the same level that it does now. And they're going to be losing fingers or getting repetitive strain injuries or hurt or whatever. And they are being told that they can't sue. Crazy Cat Lady says it's not easier for 14 and 17 year olds to get jobs no one will hire them anymore. No. No, I mean, if there is a job, 
you know, the way that I see the, the job market is there's so many people that are applying for jobs. Um, they can sit there and the, the hiring authority can sit there and say, well, we want more. We want better. There is better. And it's not going to be a 14 to 17 year old. But there are states that might actually have that because the the people that the people that are applying for these particular jobs may or may not have a lot of people available right so they're in a community where it's low population but there is demand and the adults don't want to work there because they're doing something else so they're hiring the kids of these communities um it, it has to be very subtle and niche but where there's a lot of money um, to change the policy for the entirety of the state. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it's very specific um, sectors. So, right. The industries are probably the ones pushing for this because they're the ones that are going to benefit, right? Like the meatpacking or the auto industry or whatever it is. Right. So it says child labor protection, such as making uh, many kinds of employment for children under 14 illegal and restricting the hours that teens under 18 can spend working, are guaranteed by the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938. U.S. law also does not treat 16 and 17 year olds as adults. The federal government deems many occupations too hazardous for anyone under 18. So should parents, frankly. Um, but like many things challenges began during the reagan administration and has only gotten more momentum um because even reagan sought to ease federal protections uh, a lot of processes are all about making it easier for corporations to kind of pull people into the workplace um and we've already discussed this in history of the show that when an MBA rolls into a company, what ends up happening is that MBA suppresses wages and and hobbles the workforce in an effort to increase uh, performance at the C-suite and for stockholders, um, hobbling basically the workforce, making them do harder, longer hours, more work, etc. Um, quite fascinating to read the data on that kind of thing. So um, Crazy Cat Lady says that their son is going to high school now and half his school year is academics and the other half is learning his trade. Um, plumbing, yeah. Um, Starting an internship, um, EB, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, helping to build submarines, EB. Um, but it took the school to get him the internship. Yeah, so there are trades that people can learn however it is an academic pursuit uh, oh electric boat oh, okay um it's an academic pursuit to build the skills um not working the graveyard shift in a meatpacking facility at the cost of their academic pursuit the next day um they're huge huge difference i would say um and in many instances, it's a short-term gain that may not actually convert um, into a, a long-term career because it's shifting. Uh, technology is superseding just a ton of careers right now. Um, so, and 
kind of, and I'm not saying you, uh, I'm just saying in this world, um, having someone choose at an early age, which direction they're going pens them in because they're no longer getting a holistic perspective of what might be out there. Um, now the cognate of that is that it isn't always an option. So you have to pick and choose. And I totally understand that the context isn't the same for everybody. Um, this article goes into greater detail, but we've actually talked about all of these states, Iowa and Arkansas and Wyoming. And, yes, um, I think as these individual um, issues have come up, we've been featuring them. Yeah. Um, and the, the idea here is that they're trying to make it so that it's supposedly easier for kids to get into the workforce, but it's never been impossible for kids to get into the workforce. It's basically a request, um, but there's these liability issues where states are being, states are making it possible for people to hire children to work late at night, extended hours beyond half time, um, in dangerous areas. You know, it's no longer just going and working at a fast food restaurant like you know yesteryear. It's meat packing. It's metal smithing it's working in a metal shop for car manufacturer i mean that, the things that we've read are, are quite shocking at times um so uh Tull says that they spent 20 years in submarines and he has officially spent more at the eb dry dock facility than they have yet yep like that opportunity for 15 and up to be able to work and service fast food industries but 14 is too young kids need to be allowed to be kids yeah i agree too i, I mean that i i i make my bias abundantly clear and i think that there shouldn't be 14 year olds shouldn't be working um maybe working in a family restaurant or uh, with a friend's family's restaurant or something like that where it's um, more of a, Hey, I want to hang out with my friend kind of a thing than with the expectation of performance and somebody doing a six Sigma on them to make sure that they're touching enough car doors in five minutes. It's just a different thing than what this is talking about. Um, this is to me, it's absurd. 14 and 15 year olds should be enjoying their summers. Um, and, uh, although, you know, <laughs> I think that there are people out there that will love learning how to do welding um, or uh, bricklaying or carpentry or all kinds of stuff. Turning wood is something that a 14 year old can do all day long uh, if they're into it, but you're not going to find many that are that into it. But that's a, that's all trade stuff that uh, kids can go to while they're in school and it's not compromising the academic work-life balance you know they do it during school hours to learn the trade and then they go home and they're kids again so i think that's what's more important but this is a mechanism entirely bound around corporations wanting to get cheap labor because it's a kid learning a trade so they don't have to pay them as much um and then it's devoid of liability <laughs> Because, well, apparently it's 
out of the graciousness of their employment opportunity that they're getting this job. So don't sue us if a, a car falls on the, on your child and you can't, <laughs> you waive your liability. It's quite, quite fascinating. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's go on to this. The, we've got like five more articles, so let's keep on hustling through these. Um, this next article is over on the Hatch Ideas channel. It has to do with business. Biden it, to announce $42 billion high-speed internet initiative. We've been here before. Uh, more than 7% of the country or more than 8.5 million homes and small businesses is considered underserved with internet speed below government standards. Um, <clears throat> this is over at CNBC. Emma Kinnery is the author of this. Let me throw this into the chat too. So you can follow that if you are oh so motivated. Um, was that me? Huh. Um, so we've we've been in this before. Uh, Toll asks, why is there a government standard for internet speed? Um, because the the intent is to get everybody uh there's a technical divide and the government wants to do good by all citizens and that is to extend internet access um, to everybody except that we've been here before 25 years ago we pushed government spending on fiber to be buried all across the nation that's exactly what was done, but it was scooped up by private corporations, turned off, it referred to as dark fiber, and now only a very few companies own this dark fiber and only turn it on when the market pushes it into profitability at the return on investment level that they deem worthy of activation. And it isn't necessarily in the population centers anymore either. So the money was spent um, the, the government and states lived up to their end of the bargain, but corporations made the money, took the money, buried the fiber, and then sold it and sold it and sold it and sold it, it like that much cattle. Um, so the intent to make farmers that see no need for internet use said internet they don't want. Um, not necessarily. Um, uh, I'll just say anecdotally, I know of farmers that do use the internet now that it's available to them because the profitability of being able to exploit high-speed internet has become aware to them. In fact, I know of one that is, I don't know, I mean, it's hard to explain this, but I know of one that has never accepted any transactions other than cash until I introduce them <laughs> to um, high-speed internet and um, the following year they pivoted to um, utilizing it. Um, and uh, it, it's really a matter of adopting the technology that enables people. Although ironically, this may be the last year that <laughs> it may be under their ownership because if they retire, the kids of the farm don't want to <laughs> run the farm, um, which was an interesting disclosure. 
Um, so this, this um, effort is to extend it so that people have access to the world's knowledge at a rate that um, I guess this current administration and it changes depending on which way the wind blows um, deems necessary. Uh, White House officials compared the plan to Franklin D. Roosevelt's effort to bring electricity to rural, rural America in the 1930s. And, and that's primarily true. I mean, it is an effort to bring something that is massively enabling uh, to those who don't have it. And uh, they may or may not want it, um, but getting it to them is only half the equation. They may not stay there and the next people do want it because they've been well, onboarded to and it. I think it's important for education. There are people that need internet access for academic reasons, but don't necessarily have it. Um, there are people that need internet to apply for jobs or even to use for their jobs. Um, yeah. But I agreed, not everybody wants it, but I think there's a benefit in having access to it. And um, just to address um, toll, uh, Toll makes the statement, I know quite a few families that use the internet for logistics and, and whatnot, but they have no need for 100 meg download speeds. Yeah, it's not even at that level. It's like the the initial push was 10 megs. This here is actually saying a standard of 25 megs per second for downloads and three megabytes for uploads. Um, so when they're referring, it's kind of like in government contracting, what is defined as a small business set aside for many people without knowing what that actually means, they might be thinking, okay, it's just a mom and pop shop, but it's depending on where it is, it's $15 million um, or it's $25 million or it's whatever the small, the, the definition is right um, at the time. So it can get quite high um but it's it's not what people imagine 25 megabyte uh, megabits um, per second for downloads and three for uploads i wouldn't qualify as high speed but that's because i'm an early adopter and i lean into internet um, quite a bit so i want gigabit or dual gigabit symmetric internet um, so i don't suffer from this this equation here is the uh, buns to uh, hot dog ratio that I don't really like. 25 coming to me, but only three out means that I'm a bit hobbled on sending data. So uh, Toll says that they think that the benefit of having internet available is definitely there. But just because an area, especially rural, doesn't use all the technology available doesn't mean that they are underserved. Um, well, yeah, I, I guess you could say that it it's up to the area to say if they are underserved. Um, and maybe that's exactly what's happening. There is a, a cross section of rural areas that don't have internet at this speed um, and are requesting it by way of their representative government. And that's made its way filtered from one person to another into a dossier um and presented to the president 
for an infrastructure bill to push out. And in this particular case, how much is it? $42 billion. But like I said, 25 years ago, we were in this exact same situation. We've done this before. And the result was 25 years later, we're pushing out 42 more billions of dollars to companies that will just turn off the spigot when it's buried in the ground because like toll is hinting it's it may be underserved but they don't need it or want it so it's going to be infrastructure spent and that's it but 42 billion dollars yeah what can you really buy with 42 billion dollars you know not much with the rising prices <laughs> um so toll says the most disturbing part of this uh, for them is that the administration seems to think that the internet is basically a necessity and it's not. In some areas, it's highly convenient and useful. Um, but they were also told that to get a job outside the military, they had to have active LinkedIn profile and social media and all this other stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I hear you, Tull. Um Nowadays, though, it really does seem like you have to have Internet access um, to really take advantage of the world's knowledge. Otherwise, you end up um, a bit more siloed. Um, but like always, we'll watch this and we'll talk. We'll talk about this again. So this next article, um, yeah, what if school, a uh, crazy cat lady just threw um, a comment into chat. What if schools close down again? Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, many places now embrace fully continuity of operations, policy and procedure that includes moving entirely online in times of strife. The internet is designed to recover from uh, technological breaks. And so its continuity stays intact, even if we are forced to vacate the premises of an organization, a building or whatever it is, um, we are safer in our homes than consolidated in a building somewhere. Um, and if something like COVID 2025 happens please no um we have the don't even put that out there <laughs> yeah. uh, whenever i joke about stuff by the way it tends to come true i'm almost like a in in poker it's called a cooler um it, but i'm almost prophetic in my humor where i say a joke about something and then in two years somebody knocks on my door and says you son of a bitch so um, this next article is over in hometown daily 400 year old boat that sailed after the Aztec empires uh, fall has been found. I love this stuff, um, but because I love this stuff, I went and looked at the article and I didn't kill the article uh, submission because the video doesn't have anything to do with this, but we'll talk about it. Um, so they uncover a tower of skulls in this Aztec build they so they do this dig and they found this tower and they say that it's part of a larger building structure and it's women and children primarily and the 
the anecdotal stories that they say, the, the contemporary stories that are told about this, is that it scared the bejeebers out of the conquistadors. But that's not why it was built. It just freaked out the con conquistadors when they showed up to take all of the gold from the Aztecs. There was something really dark in Aztec history, right? And we know that because of their uh, past discoveries. So I don't think that they ever show anything in here about this darn boat, uh, but they talk about it. And I've refreshed this. So that, like many Newsweek articles, it, you know, it's like giving somebody directions to make a left turn and they go right. That's what this video really is. Um, Tull says, I hope we uh, have learned how damaging shutting down schools like we did for COVID was. Um, we did and uh, learned quite a bit from it. So will the damage persist if it happens again? Probably because it's really hard to be social when you are forced to be distant. But um, I'll take I'll take having to spend more time teaching my kid more and more stuff or promoting, I should say, promoting parents to teach their kids stuff when forced to be socially distant than them having either them dying from COVID or being long COVID and having permanent lung damage, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's... Uh, I I would couch it in the price to stay alive. Um, but so with this, uh, <laughs> sorry to get sidetracked like that, but it says here that archaeologists have discovered in Mexico the remains of a boat more than 400 years old that may have sailed in a now vanished lake following the fall of the Aztec Empire. So not only did it fall, but it took a lake with it. <laughs> Researchers uncovered seven wooden blocks of more than three feet in length during excavations in a former bed of Lake Chalco, the Mexican National Institute of Anthropology and History said in a statement. These seven blocks equate a boat. Um, sorry. I thought that you were going to say something, so I paused and you just did say anything at all i thought you were looking at something and so i, I was, started waving at you <laughs> i was reading toll's um comment yeah yeah um sorry uh so crazy cat lady says that their kid had straight a's during covid yeah i mean it's all about engagement and and um making sure like parents keep the kid engaged and and when the kid deviates you you be a parent and you say get your ass back in gear i mean it's it's not just the kid it's not just the school um and yeah i mean it is and it isn't sometimes the school just kind of wets the bed and doesn't do what's necessary to actually provide the academics even in distance but when you are distant, it requires parents to engage um, and not just assume that the kids are doing it. And so you did a bang up job. What can I tell you? Y'all are doing it right. Um, so based on the ceramic material, sorry to jump back and forth. Those of you who are listening to this via the podcast, but um, 
I don't edit anything. I don't leave anything out. Um, this is how the sausage is made and I'm very transparent about it. Um, so if you want to engage in conversations with us, then come to um, hometown here on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash hometown and uh, we can have a long conversation because um, it, it happens. <laughs> I love these kind of conversations. So uh, thanks for sticking around, y'all. So um, back to the story, the, uh, based on the ceramic material that was recovered from the site, researchers have inferred that this settlement was occupied in the late post-classic period of Mesoamerican history, so AD 1325 to 1521, and during the beginnings of the viceregal era, which is the first time that I've actually heard that term being used. It's that sounds very European. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that term. Weird. Um, so I'll have to look into to that one. Um, as for the wooden blocks, their shape and dimensions indicate that they were likely formed part of a brigantine style or uh, type vessel that sailed on the lake after the fall of Tenochtitlan. All right. Well, there you go, folks. I'm always astonished when somebody sees a pebble sitting on a rock somewhere and says, that was a vast temple. All right. I don't know what you've been drinking, but whatever it was must have been from a vessel you pulled out of the ground during an Aztec dig. Probably shouldn't do that. So we got uh, three more articles. So let's go on to the next. And this is the namesake uh, article, by the way. So let's keep going. Or I'm going to get my butt kicked. Uh, see, because I'm. This article's over in the Law Nerd channel. Butt dial ends in Clerk's Ouster. This has to suck. But based on the context, I think they deserved it. So maybe a second after hanging up to curse about a judge's decision. So maybe take a second when you get an email or a phone call and you go, Oh man, that person sucks or whatever. What you want to do is just step back. Don't answer the phone. If you hang up, make sure you're hung up, step back. Don't send that email. Don't do a snap response. You'll regret it. Or, if you're independently wealthy and you don't care what anybody says or does, then you can probably be a CEO um, and, and not worry about this. But when you're an elected person, you don't do what this person did. So this is in AboveTheLaw.com. Joe Patrice is the author of this. And it says, um, the deck statement is what I just read. Uh, maybe take a second after hanging up to curse about the judge's decision. Now, these articles are technically <laughs> pointed at attorneys. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Toll just said, you're about the half dozenth person. Wait, half dozenth? Did you just go full uh, ye old English on me here? The half dozenth uh, person to have heard say take a breath before responding to something yeah uh i've if not for the ai i would have sent off screeds because normally i'm in a position where i'm the one that is like hey you need to do this and um 
and and sometimes people send me something where i i'm like no 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 that's not the dynamic we i need you to do x y and z um and uh yeah the ai just goes you back off just back away back away so crazy cat lady didn't teach anything or didn't teach them anything during covid really toll come on crazy cat lady i'll teach you uh crochet there you go um that'll keep your hands busy off the keyboard and off the phone there you go so if you get some nasty gram style toll just cr start crocheting so many hats on etsy now so many hats Okay, so sorry, back to this article. Um, the person says, drops an F-bomb, I'm not calling John Davis. Patricia Chastain, formerly the elected, formerly the elected clerk of Franklin County, North Carolina in a butt dial. It also could have been F John Davis or I don't give a F about John Davis. Anyway, it was covered by the ABA Journal, and Chastain had demanded a magistrate judge deal with a local dispute after he refused without more information, and Chastain threatened to publicly post his number. The judge told her to take it up with the chief district judge, John Davis. An inadvertent redial later, and the magistrate learned that she was not planning to comply with that request. And the North Carolina Supreme Court affirmed a lower court order stripping her of her office for this and other offenses. Bam. Don't you think this was one of many instances? Ah. <laughs> <sighs> uh, yeah, so this is this is one of those things where it was a butt dial, but the problem is uh, and and here's what I don't get about this. It it was a butt dial. Um, and they actually. You make these statements sometimes. You do. Was somebody else in the office? Was this actually the the final action and they didn't do it, or was this just, you know, they they talk about it in the ABA Journal, which. I'm sure that we have both of these um, these uh, articles aggregated into hometown. Um, I'll have to I'll have to hunt this one down because we can end up talking about this because it actually is a societal thing here. You make these comments that you think might be in the safety of your own office or your own home or wherever, right? Well, I don't think that this should have necessarily been used against this person because out of frustration, they make the comment, but professionally, they wouldn't have done it. Here's the problem. The person probably worked for the judge was already told to do or no, they tried to tell the judge to do something. Right. Then they call back and they're like, I'm not effing doing this even though it wasn't necessarily directed at that judge, but <laughs> I can see exactly why it ended up this way. But I get the sense that there were other issues before this. Yeah, that right there is the, the key at the end, that key context there. And, and Toll also says, 
similar to what we're talking about in that all it takes is one unbecoming an officer charge and, and you're done. Um, this is the same thing. This is not what you say when you're an elected official. Um, Toll also says that it goes uh, back to why they limit their social media presence. How many school teachers have been fired because they posted an adult outing with an adult friends and adult locations like bars and nightclubs? Yep, your personal life isn't allowed to be a separate from your professional life anymore. Well, not unless you're um, a connected politician, because then you can sit there and say, no, 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 my Twitter account is my Twitter account. And my personal account is my personal account. Yet you can muddy the waters by giving policy from both. Um, and because you're a connected politician, you can say, well, this is how I meant it or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, this is basically the last straw to the series of actions that led to their ouster. So I, I understand. Um, I like being devil's advocate for some of this stuff when I realize, well, I fully understand that this person was probably a little too hot headed to be a subordinate in a place where they have zero authority over the superior in any way, shape or form. It wasn't even a friendly type of dialogue. You know, I'm buddy, buddy with judges and I can make a, a snide comment and it'll be taken as buddy, buddy and jocular up until I make a demand. Then it's no longer friendly. So, well, I wonder what people do when they when something like that happens because it's not like you can put on your resume yet yeah, call up my last employer we have a great relationship <laughs> uh career change <laughs> yeah really <clears throat> i know some industrial manufacturing jobs that might be open maybe they can pretend to be 14 or 15 and they'll get the gig there you go or they could be like the woman that enrolled in high school that was too old that what came through hometown recently <laughs> yeah they were like 35 and they ended up trying to go back to high school or something like that it was weird really weird people um so this next article is over in mobile uh, florida is now in the midst of three different quarantines over snails this is weird. Florida okay, is on admit, high alert for that's snails. That's probably the first time I've seen that headline. Uh, yeah, it's. You've heard of Florida woman. You've heard of Florida man. Now it's Florida snails. I do have to say though that there's very slow movement on policy and procedure to deal with these snails. It's almost as if they're moving at a snail's pace to resolve this. Toll um, talking about COVID during the shutdown when citizens weren't allowed to leave their homes, members of the Connecticut legislature um, were having rooftop parties in the parking garage of the Capitol building. Yeah, and they got some blowback for that. Yeah, I mean, we're all equal until, you know, we're not. <laughs> uh yeah. Oh, I sound a little salty about this one. 
snails. Yeah. <clears throat> I painted an S on my car so that I could see the S car go. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's a that's a kid's joke from when I was uh, just wee high. Anyway, so Florida's on high alert for snails. The state government designated part of the southeastern Broward County a quarantine and treatment area after a giant African land snail, a highly invasive species of mollusk, was spotted north of Miami earlier this month. I told the officer that I was just laying on the beach. I don't know why they're referring to me as a highly invasive species of mollusk. I'm just a pale dude. I mean, that's kind of offensive. <laughs> but what I can't figure out is, okay, I'm picturing like a high-speed chase, but not. Like, Have you seen these? Don't you think they could maybe capture this? <laughs> Have you seen these? No, but I think that if somebody spots it and calls it in and you could go three days later and maybe still find it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they're, they're sneaky <laughs> bastards. Uh, this is over in QZ.com or Quartz. Uh, it's written by Diego Lasart. Um, okay, so prepare thyself. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> yeah. So I've seen these things. I've actually wanted one, but I know that they're invasive. Not that they're going to get out of hometown. It's not a big deal. That's not going to happen. But it says here that the deck statement is a sunshine state or the sun. May I God, the sunshine state wants to save its crops from invasive mollusks. Okay. Prepare thyself, AI. Bam. Those are snails. That <laughs> they're is the a size giant of your snail. fist. Yeah, they're they're giant African snails. So, have you seen this mollusk? Catching sight of a giant African land snail has become increasingly common across Florida. I've actually seen people with these. Um, they are huge and heavy, and they are snails, and they move like snails. So Florida's on high alert for these snails. The state government has designated part of southeastern Broward County a quarantine and treatment area over a giant African land snail because it's... Oh, Toll, you are assaulting us with that. With those puns. Uh, let's see. Uh, um, there's got to be a shell joke. I I'm having a hard time coming up with something. But Broward apparently isn't the only one. This is the third active quarantine against the land snail in Florida, according to the state's Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services. Lee and Pasco counties, located on the state's west coast, have protected against the snail since Broward. Or since last year. Sorry, not Broward. Now you're just being shellfish. <laughs> Yes, Broward County equal, equals uh, Fort Lauderdale, um, says Tull. So thank you very much. So what do you think? The scourge of the giant African land snail. The giant African land snail, easily recognized by its brownish hue and large round uh, rotund shell, isn't a slow mover in all senses. It's able to reproduce without a mate. 
It can lay up to 1,200 eggs in a single year, meaning the snail's population can quickly get out of hand. That hand. Sorry. For those in the podcast, I just scrolled back up to a picture of a fist-sized, an adult fist-sized snail. Anyway, if you want one of these, don't. So they talk about other um, invasive species. By the way, kudzu, you can actually eat. That but stuff you that you should not plant it. You shouldn't. Yeah. In fact, you should, you should cut it all off and then um, you can actually eat it. And it, but it's bad for domestic um, plant life, but it, cause it destroys trees. Like it suffocates the trees. It wraps its tendrils all around it. And then you basically just have a stump with kudzu all over it. There's a reason why it's treated as a monster in like dungeons and dragons and, um, magic, the gathering and stuff like that. <laughs> Nerd. Um, anyway, so there you go, folks snail when was the last time i threw an article into the chat i think about one article ago no it was the internet how far back was the internet article you talked about it since then but maybe you didn't do it let's see no so the biden article okay so like four articles ago i am a horrible streamer Okay, there's that article. There's the butt dial. You know, one of these days, I'll get the AI to do all of that. Um, okay, so here is our last article for tonight. LSU just won the Men's College World Series. Hey, spoiler alert. Sorry if I just ruined it for somebody. And Dumbledore dies, too. The uh, next article is over in uh, Omtown Daily. That's this show, but it's also a channel over in Omtown.com. Mystery sulfur-like odor reported across Indiana. The only reason why I put this into the show is because I wanted to say that Indiana stinks. Kalita Rahman. I'm just kidding. I like Indiana. It's okay. Um... Kalita Rahman is the author of this article over at Newsweek.com. And um, residents received a public safety alert on Sunday that said fire and police departments in Lake Porter and Laporte uh, counties have been alerted to the presence of a sulfur-like odor spreading across the northwest Indiana. (gasps) Doesn't this just screams horror movie? Well, yes, and especially in conjunction with the giant land snails. Uh, uh, uh. Man, what else? According to screenshots shared on social media, the alert continued. At this time, the origin of the odor is unknown. I just ate some broccoli, (laughs) that's all. Um, You know, that really makes your citizens feel safe. (laughs) (laughs) We have no idea what this is. Toll says it feels like it was a movie Slither. Hmm. Uh, what is that? What's the horror movie? Um, the Fog? 
Yeah. At this time, the origin of the odor is unknown. All emergency personnel and agencies have been made aware and are investigating. Currently, there's no immediate threat to public safety. You don't know what it is. How can it not be a threat? <laughs> exactly. I'm not sure you can make that statement. Oh, go drink the water. Oh, the fog, the mist. Something. I don't know. Indiana's a gas. What can I say? Too soon. Um, other industries throughout Porter Lake and LaPorte counties have been contacted and we have found no other evidence of releases or spills. Still don't know. On Sunday, police departments in, D in Indiana said the source of the smell was being investigated and urged residents not to call 911 about it. Oh, BP. They, they tried to... Um, I can't say that. <laughs> um or toll geez how did that happen i'm curious um so the entire area from east chicago as far as portage is experiencing what people are calling a natural gas smell sulfur smell the department wrote on facebook sunday night we do not believe currently that there's any danger but if you are a person that is asthmatic or has breathing issues um please stay indoors as a precaution and at the very end of this article, it says, uh, when we receive those calls, we send uh, service crews and techs into those areas. Based on all of the readings we've conducted, we have not sourced any of those calls to being related to natural gas. Calls have ranged from Porter, LaPorte, Lake, and St. Joseph counties, so they still don't know what's going on. They've received hundreds of calls. I mean, wouldn't it kind of have been concentrated in one area and then dissipated it seems like that would be kind of easy to determine at least the area it came from if not the cause <laughs> oh wow so here's a here's a i don't know what do you want to call it um toll had a friend best friend um in high school person was supposed to go work for bp at an office said don't show up today so they postponed it a day, and then the building caught fire that they were supposed to be in originally that day. Wow. Like, yeah. <laughs> so That's I like what we were just talking about, like where something changes and you suddenly avoid disaster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We were talking about that because of um, the submersible. Mr. Beast submersible. I think that we talked about this at the end of yesterday's show. Uh, Mr. Beast was supposed to be on the Titan submersible and dun 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 lo and behold he bowed out um and said that it was too weird like he it was it was too real too too i don't want to say that he was scared or, or whatever but he had reservations about going in this thing and rightfully so whatever it is that spoke to him you know the the universe said you're doing some pretty fun, important things, changing people's lives. Let's not put you in the bottom of this or put this, put you in this submersible. Who knows? Maybe it's just an additive used to make natural gas. I uh, have an odor got released without the LNG part. Yeah, they haven't been able to figure it out, though, which is the weird thing. You know, it's like at the like East um, Palestine they're like, yeah, you can drink the water. Hell no, I can't drink the water. This stuff is glowing. 
But apparently you can drink the water. That's what they say. You're fine. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, thanks. So um, yet another weird article. Um, I love throwing these weird articles at the end of the show. Um, it's always fun to sit there and just kind of tilt your head like somebody blew a dog whistle. What the hell did I just read? Bathed in the water in Flint, Michigan. Oh, wait, they clean that, right? No. <laughs> Can't drink the water in Flint still, I don't think. I don't think they've solved that problem. Because um, they have to... It's too late now. Like, all of the protective stuff has been stripped out of the lead pipes. There was a lining. And so it, every single one of their pipes has to be re-lined, um, which is an interesting... Um, procedure they basically measure the length of a pipe and they have um, a tube that they blast down the the uh, pipe and it unfurls inside the pipe and creates a lining that's protected from whatever the hell is in that pipe um, and it's puncture resistant and um, will make the pipe usable again that way the, the lead doesn't leach out. Well, one boneheaded maneuver and, and an entire community is poisoned with heavy metals. Okay, on that lighthearted note, let's go back to the main street of hometown and we click that welcome sign and we're headed out here too. Thanks for hanging out, Toll. Um, there have been other lurkers. I appreciate your time like I do every day. I appreciate your time you're spending with me. Um, and I know that the AI does too. Uh, I think that they're, they might be bowing out. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but have a good night, everybody. And we will see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up there is the AI about to say good night. You want to say good night? Good night. <laughs> uh, we'll see you tomorrow at 9 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Stay awesome.